0: Listening to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. I'm Jeremy Behan, and for this special episode of Reasonable Doubts, we're featuring a lecture I gave in February to the Grand Traverse Humanists in Traverse City, Michigan. The lecture was entitled Does Religion Make Us Better? A Critical Review of the Religious Pro Sociality Hypothesis. Longtime listeners will no doubt recognize many of the studies talked about in this lecture a previous RD Extra, and our episode The Skeptic's Toolkit to Psychology of Religion discussed these findings. But this lecture is a bit different, mostly in the trivial and I'm sure disappointing fact that I am presenting the findings rather than our resident Dr. Professor Luke Galen. But I think this lecture has some merit in that it finally collects a wide range of studies discussed over several years on the show into one convenient place, hopefully making it easier for fans of the show to review the information or share with a friend. And please do share. This is important research, and I know Dr. Galen would agree with me in thinking that it hasn't gotten as much attention as it deserves. So you'd be doing us and the cause of skepticism a great favor by sharing this lecture on whatever blogs or social media you frequent. And never underestimate the power of good old word-of-mouth sharing either. And please visit doubtcast.org to share any comments, questions, or feedback you may have about the episode. Also, be sure to tune in next week for the Doubtcasters' review of the new Christian propaganda film, God's Not Dead. Should be a good one. Until then, take care and keep doubting. Thank you for coming, and thank you for the privilege of allowing me to speak to your group. My name is Jeremy Behan. I teach world religions and introduction to philosophy, along with a handful of other subjects at Kendall College of Art and Design. I'm also the producer and co-host of the Reasonable Doubts podcast, uh, which at its peak was the top atheist podcast on iTunes for several years. Won uh, the People's Choice Podcasting Award for uh, Best Religious Inspirational Podcast, which was <laughs> different. People look at me funny when I mention that. <laughs> I'm speaking tonight on the issue of does religion make people better and we're approaching this not so much from a philosophical perspective as you usually hear this question grappled with, but uh, we're approaching this from an empirical standpoint. What can science actually tell us? about how religion affects morality. Uh, The subtitle here is A Skeptical Review of the Religious Pro-Sociality Hypothesis. So that might take some explanation. You might guess from that subtitle that this is going to be a bit of an informationally dense talk tonight. But I don't have to tell you that in our culture... Uh, there's an overwhelming assumption among the general public that being religious is necessary to be a happy and ethical person. We have plenty of preachers and pundits and ordinary people reminding us daily that without God, society will quickly devolve into wickedness and anarchy. What you may not be familiar with as much, however, is the growing body of social psychology research that at first glance actually seems to support this notion. The more technical term for the hypothesis that religion makes us good is known as the religious prosociality hypothesis. Uh, my task tonight is to present you with an overview of this research and to equip you with the tools necessary to think critically about it. Because, as we're about to see, the religious prosociality hypothesis really does indeed have some support. But when we look at the evidence more closely, we're going to discover little devils within the details. But first, I have to give you a quick disclaimer. I don't get any credit or blame for what I'm about to say this <laughs> evening. This is not my research that I'm reporting on. This is actually Dr. Luke Galen's research. He is a professor of uh, psychology of religion at Grand Valley State University, and uh, almost all of What I'm going to be drawing from tonight comes from his paper in the psychological bulletin of the American Psychological Association uh, called Does Religious Belief Promote Pro-Sociality? A Critical Examination. Uh, How did I get involved in this topic? He put me in charge of writing up a summary of his research kind of distilling pages upon pages and pages of review into something coherent that the average consumer could actually understand. So uh, that was my task, writing up his review in free inquiry. And uh, since Luke Galen uh, doesn't like to leave the house too often or interact with ordinary human beings, um, (laughs) he's kind of appointed me to be his spokesman. He jokingly refers to me as Galen's bulldog. I, I guess I'm the Thomas Henry Huxley to his uh, Darwin. So, um, so I've been glad to have the opportunity to do interviews and talk to groups like this uh, about this research because I think it needs to get out there. All right, before we go any further, let's define what we mean by prosociality. I hate that word already. I'm barely into this lecture and I'm tired of saying it. But uh, the, the term pro-social refers to any kind of positive social behavior and this runs the gamut from generosity in the form of charitable giving or time spent volunteering to uh, personal qualities perhaps, such as positive personality traits, uh, being helpful, being honest. And there's actually an impressive array of scientific studies that support this hypothesis, that try to show that uh, the religious exhibit greater prosociality than the non-religious. In fact, this has even become the subject of a number of popular books. One you may have heard of is A Friendly Letter to Skeptics and Atheists by David Myers, uh, or more recently, American Grace, How Religion Divides and Unites Us. Uh, So the general public is being told that the data are in and religion makes you happy, happier, healthier, and more helpful. That this is a conclusion that is not just philosophy or religion, it's science. In fact, even some atheists are getting in on this. Uh, A seemingly overwhelming case for the pro-social effects of religion has been enough to convince people here like Jesse Baring, uh, atheist psychologist, and actually a pretty good author, enough to convince him that religion is beneficial, at least for others. In a recent Slate article entitled, Don't Trust the Godless, Jesse Baring confessed, Even as an atheist, I have more confidence in religious people, and now science is backing me up. A fuller quote is up here. Uh, This is a difficult confession to make because on the surface I'm sure it sounds wildly hypocritical. Still, here it goes. I trust religious people more than I trust atheists. Trustworthiness is a different thing altogether from intellect. And I suppose I'm the ever the social pragmatist in my dealings with other people. So pretty serious claim if you get even atheist psychologists saying don't trust the godless. Before we go any further though, we're going to have to look at what are the kind of methods that are used in pro-sociality research. Uh, we're going to see a variety of different experimental setups and and methods for conducting this kind of research. This would include self-reports, what people say about themselves, and third-party ratings of individuals, laboratory tests of behavior, uh, lab studies of economic games, we'll talk about those more later, priming studies where people are presented with a religious concept subconsciously, usually where they will not realize they've been primed by the concept and then we see what happens and also spirituality scales, scales that are meant to design uh, to detect the level of one's spirituality and then we compare their behaviors on that. And what I'm going to try to highlight is some of the pitfalls that researchers face in each of these types of research methods. Let's start with the self-report data. Will being religious make you a better person? Well, the faithful certainly seem to think so. When asked to give an assessment of their own character and values, religious individuals tend to report being having a more grateful disposition. They rate themselves as more helpful. They claim to value forgiveness more highly than the non-religious. And many studies actually take these self-reports at face value. The fact that believers think they're more moral is actually taken as evidence that they do exhibit these pro-social traits. The big question is, should we take believers at their word? No, not if their evaluations are based on a self-serving bias rather than a realistic assessment of their own character. Self-report data tends to be unreliable by its very nature. People are prone to forming positive illusions about themselves. We all do it. As we tend to inflate our responses on questionnaires as a result to make ourselves look better. Sometimes this is just concern over our own personal self-image. Social psychologists would call this self-enhancement. Or sometimes we want to make a good impression with others, or a good impression for our group in particular. This is sometimes referred to as impression management. While this is a widespread tendency, and it's no, by no means restricted just to the religious, what's interesting is this tendency might be more pronounced in those who have a strong level of religious belief. Highly religious people tend to view themselves as better than others generally, Uh, even uh, better than other religious individuals and they also evaluate themselves more highly than non-religious individuals on attributes that have absolutely nothing to do with religion so for example they might score themselves higher on on uh, measures of intelligence or uh, being a good worker things that that do not seem immediately related to their religious morality Those high in intrinsic religiosity actually have been shown to have a higher degree of self-enhancement and impression management. To give just one example, if you prime a Christian with self-esteem primes, um, you'll see them uh, actually rating themselves as living up to Christian principles more often than their fellow believers. If, however, you do the reverse and you offer up an assessment that questions their high self-esteem or make them write about something that they don't like about themselves, Those who are high in intrinsic religiosity, so that means uh, the level of belief, they are more likely to resort to self-deception as a compensating strategy. Also, highly religious people are particularly concerned with presenting themselves as uh, moral persons and particularly threatened when that self-image is challenged. So I guess the big question is why do researchers even rely on these self-reports some of the time? Well, because at least in some cases, these positive self-assessments are actually corroborated by others, their family, their colleagues, their peers. So third-party evaluators rate religious individuals as being nicer, more cooperative, and highly altruistic and empathetic as well. Uh, To some, this is proof that these self-reports are not self-delusion. They're not moral hypocrisy. They are uh, correct assessments of their character. But I think we can still be a little skeptical here. When we're talking about a predominantly religious society where about 80-95% to of people are religious and around 75% are at least nominally Christian, it's a good bet that a significant proportion of those subjects, families and peers, are also religious, meaning there's a possibility of in-group bias at work here. And actually there is some evidence to support that. Uh, In-group favoritism is a well-studied phenomenon in social psychology. It's Again, this is not just religious people here, this is all of us. It is natural for individuals to derive self-esteem from the groups they're associated with. It's natural to provide a positive image to the public for those who share their identity. So consistent with the predictions of social identity theory, we see uh, believers tend to show more favoritism towards other individuals and speak more poorly of non-religious, and this even includes those from different religious groups. Often this favoritism, and here's the key point here, often this favoritism is extended to other religious individuals regardless of whether or not they behave well or poorly. Uh, They'll still be reviewed more favorably even when they've been up to no good. I'll give you an example here of uh, when sometimes believers will rate religious individuals more highly than non-religious individuals, even when they exhibit the exact same behaviors. I was a part of this study, uh, which was published in 2011. I was a participant, and so in front of a camera I wore two different t-shirts, I, well, I, three actually, just a plain white t-shirt. Then in the other condition I wore a Jesus fish t-shirt, and then in the third condition I wore a Darwin Fish t-shirt. And then I read the exact same script each time, which was I was presenting myself as a college student who was using my spring break to help a disaster relief organization and talking about my positive experiences. No mention of religion or anything else. What we found in this study was that people rated me as more likable, more intelligent, more trustworthy, and more kind, and more moral overall when I was wearing the Jesus fish. <laughs> so exact same behaviors, but a subtle cue that I might be religious makes people evaluate my behavior better. Most studies that rely on peer ratings do not adequately control for this tendency for in-group bias, and that's the problem. Ideally, researchers would ensure that participants are completely unaware of the religious identity of those that they're rating. Uh, then we'd have more reason to trust their evaluations as accurate, but This, sadly, is rarely the case. However, in studies that do, in most studies where the raters uh, are actually aware of their target's religious identities, a clear bias emerges, and that suggests an in-group bias. When the people know they're religious, they rate them more positively. There is an interesting twist to all of this. Non-religious individuals do not appear to rate their fellow non-believers as any more pro-social than they do the religious. For some reason, this in-group bias doesn't seem to be affecting the non-religious to the same degree. Now, shouldn't the fact that non-religious people also rate the religious highly indicate that these judgments are based on a clear-headed assessment of their character? Are atheists really going to have a pro-religious bias? Actually, it's quite possible that they would if their judgments have been swayed by a strong religious, pro-religious cultural stereotype. And again, there is evidence to suggest that's the case. Here's more evidence for a pro-religious stereotype uh, that we can find by looking at similar studies that are conducted in different cultures than our own. Uh, For example, self-reports of happiness, life satisfaction, and personality measures like agreeableness are more closely associated with religion in the United States than in the United Kingdom or Northern Europe where religion is less dominant. To give you one specific example, this particular study here asked people to rate their impressions of people just from looking at photographs of faces. And smiling faces were judged to be more religious than non-smiling faces. That was in the United States. In the United Kingdom, the exact opposite was true. And this, <laughs> tends, to be, this tends to be a general relationship between religion and self-control, mental well-being, psychological adjustment, social support. In general, in societies where the non-religious are the majority, people of the non-religious are, more, are rated more favorably on all of those particular measures. So again, evidence that there is a cultural bias at work here. I think by now it should be clear that self-report data doesn't provide reliable evidence for the religious pro-sociality hypothesis. Self-evaluations of religious subjects are vulnerable to self-enhancement, impression management, distortions and others and they are contaminated quite possibly by a widely held pro-religious cultural stereotype it might be better instead of trusting self reports to look at experimentally controlled measures of behavior or if you prefer the way Jesus might say it we should judge believers by their fruit not by their words let's look at what their actual deeds tell us well for one religious individuals claim to value Forgiveness more than others, but actually any effect on their religiosity on actual forgiveness has been found to be Negligible. This is just one study that uh, shows that a comparison of self-reports with controlled experiments on behavior Reveal how often believers fail to live up to their high opinion of themselves those in high in, in intrinsic religiosity again This is a measure of belief report a more grateful disposition but don't do not perform better than anyone else in studies measuring reciprocal behavioral gratitude will they give back high intrinsic religiosity doesn't seem to reduce aggression though here's kinda the scary detail it tends to make people think they're less aggressive than they really are fundamentalists in particular report higher levels of altruism towards everybody but in reality they are more willing To help friends or like minded individuals. They're not as likely to help strangers or what is sometimes called value violators, Uh, perhaps like a homosexual or something like that, that is uh, clearly on the wrong side of the divide on some culture war issue. We have to remember, again, that everyone tends to estimate, how overestimate how moral they actually are. So this is really common to find a gap between how individuals predict they'll behave and how they actually behave. If we were to take everybody in this room, we would probably see the exact same phenomena. We are no different. It's just that the effect seems to be more pronounced in religious populations. As we said before, highly religious do show a greater tendency towards self-enhancement on questionnaires, and this disjunction between self-report and measured behavior is actually wider in the religious than in the rest of the population. In fact, the greatest gap we can see between altruistic beliefs and altruistic behaviors is actually found in those who rate religion as more important to them personally. What's funny is uh, sometimes the experimental evidence is so contrary to our stereotypes about religion that some researchers put a spin on this conclusion. uh, What they are publishing is showing no positive effect for religion, but their abstract or the way they interpret the data speaks in glowing terms. For example, this particular study here, McCulloch and Worthington in 1999, Said said, uh, even if religious people are no more facile at forgiving in real life situations than are less religious people, they do desire to be forgiving and goes on about how great it is that they want to be good forgiving people. I'd like to argue to you that praising believers for their moral intentions kind of misses the point. It's not that we just desire to be better and that's good. Uh, in some cases, they already think they're superior and there are major dangers in having an unrealistic assessment of one's own character and limits. Let's move on to a different type of study, religious priming studies. Uh, Though religious individuals do not seem to behave as morally as they report, it would still be very odd, I personally would find it strange, if religion didn't have some impact on moral behavior. After all, scriptures and sermons abound with exhortations to love thy neighbor, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, And I would think frequent exposure to these messages would result in pro-social behaviors. So priming studies are a useful way of teasing this out. Again, participants are primed somehow. Maybe they have to unscramble a word bank and it has religious words in it. Or perhaps they have to read a portion of scripture and write a response to it. Sometimes it can be really subtle. Symbols in the room, a crucifix in the room, uh, jewelry or clothing. Sometimes it's just the context uh, conducting the experiment in a church instead of, uh, say, a high school gymnasium or something like that. Well, the good news of priming studies is that this, this is the best evidence we can find for the religious prosociality hypothesis. Uh, there's a lot of data supporting it. There are good studies showing greater honesty and generosity amongst the religious, increased sharing, increased cooperation, better self-control in distressing situations, and greater resistance to temptation. So why are religious concepts so good at priming these kinds of behaviors? Several studies cited a possible mechanism here, supernatural surveillance, they called it. The belief that one's actions are constantly and inescapably being observed by a divine being. And thinking that this is a strong reminder to us to be aware of our actions, and perhaps that's why religious concepts prime these prosocial behaviors. God might be watching you after all. But I want to share some curious details that aren't as often shared in these priming studies. Neutral religious words like Bible, disciple, or chapel don't seem to promote any helping behavior. It seems to be only positive words like heaven, miracle, or bless that have that effect on people. Even more interesting, the positive effects don't seem to be dependent on the participants level of religiosity. You could be just kinda religious or you could be hardcore fundamentalist and the priming affects you the same way. Also, non-religious people respond positively to religious primes and to the exact same degree as their religious counterparts. If you were to look at all those symbols you would act more morally too. Even more interesting, priming secular concepts like civil or court seem to have the same power to promote honesty or lower hypocrisy as religious primes do. And religious distrust of atheists, the distrust they have for us, goes down when The religious are primed with concepts of secular authority. That's really interesting. Why would that possibly be? Well, one idea, not exactly sure, but one idea is that believers know that atheists do not live their lives as if God is watching them. So without this supernatural monitoring, they may wonder what reason we have for behaving well. Uh, But this distrust can be ameliorated when we are reminded that morality can be monitored in different ways. So these kind of civic primes remind everybody, oh wait, there is a social order, there is something keeping these evil atheists in check. And so their negative impressions go down. Amazingly, even the presence of a mirror or just pictures of eyes in the laboratory will actually have these same effects, which actually really boosts that notion of supernatural surveillance. Uh, Obviously, this has implications for the religious prosociality hypothesis. Religious concepts do not seem to prime uh, prosocial behavior like honesty because they're religious. It may be that any concepts that are associated with morality in a particular culture trigger greater concern for protecting your reputation. (coughs) Again, since there's a widespread cultural stereotype that religion is linked to morality here, Religious concepts will activate moral behavior, but as we pointed out, secular primes do just as well. While the positive effects of religious priming are the stuff of headlines, what you don't usually hear about is the dark side of religious primes. Numerous studies demonstrate that socially undesirable behaviors also manifest when subjects are exposed to religious messages. So, for example, participants who read passages from the Bible depicting God-sanctioned violence Administer more electrical shocks than the control group in, uh, in studies of aggression. We should note this works on non-believers as well. Even a non-believer reading those pages, passages from the Bible will also become more vicious in their behaviors towards somebody. Uh, it's just that the effect seems to be more pronounced for believers. Especially disturbing is this subgroup of religious believers high in intrinsic religiosity and also high in levels of submissiveness this group was very disturbing because they became the most vengeful after after being primed with religious words they really seemed to go off the rail so i guess what i'm saying is it doesn't affect all people equally certain personality characteristics come into play here too to either aggravate or kind of mute these responses I'd like to share this, this study real quick. Experiments where people were assigned to read the biblical version of the Golden Rule actually had no effect on diminishing Christians' homophobia. So negative attitudes towards homosexuals were not at all diminished by reading this, what you would think is a very positive prime, right, the Golden Rule. Strangely enough, reading the Buddhist version of the Golden Rule actually increased their homophobic responses. If they read another religious text telling them to be merciful and do unto others as you would have them to do unto them, they wanted to do that even less. <laughs> this is perhaps because uh, the moral imperative was coming from this distrusted out-group source. Uh, likewise, unscrambling words associated with Christianity increased racial prejudice towards African Americans, that was found by Johnson, uh, the lead author Johnson, in 2010 and attitudes towards all out-group members became more negative when experiments were conducted in a church setting rather than, rather than a civic context. This is a strange paradox we're looking at here. Religious priming seems to increase both pro-social behaviors like honesty and sharing and non-pro-social behaviors like aggression and prejudice. Uh, This will make more sense, I think, to us when we consider another curious but consistent finding in this literature, that the kindness of religious individuals is typically not extended universally to everyone. Instead, the primary beneficiaries of uh, religious prosociality are usually other believers. This can be most clearly seen in economic games. So, Uh, To save a little bit of time, I'm not going to go into how all of these games work, but they basically start with people trading or exchanging money. The games are designed to encourage cooperation and trust. So basically, if the players work together, uh, they will both get further along but one player might have the opportunity to make off with more money if they deceive or lie or cheat the other player. So this is, this is all trying to assess cooperation, trust, giving, that sort of thing. What do the economic games show? In behavioral economic studies, Where the religiosity of the participants is known, so we actually know what they are, a general trend emerges. Religious individuals cooperate more and give more money than uh, than non-religious participants. So they do do that. Overall, they give more and they trust more than the non-religious. The prosociality hypothesis is true. It just has that twist. They only give it to those who share their religious identity. Uh, For example, this study, Ahmed, 2009, found that clergy students exchanged greater money money offers than non-clergy students, but only to those from their own religious group. These findings are almost, well, they are most likely due to that previous phenomenon we mentioned of in-group favoritism. But there also might be something else going on here. This might be that pro-religious cultural stereotype happening again, because notice, non-religious participants did not show the same in-group favoritism in those economic games. They also trusted religious, religious participants more than their non-religious peers and allocated more money to them overall, even though that money would not be reciprocated in the end. Yeah, it's amazing how ingrained that stereotype is. This pattern of preferential treatment is not limited to behavioral economic studies. It constitutes a general trend across the entire literature. In fact, a new word had to be coined just to explain it. Uh, One researcher who's uh, very popular in this by the name of Sarah Glue coined the term minimal prosociality, meaning uh, the greater helping on the part of the religious that's extended to friends and in-group members, but not to out-group members who threaten religious values. Uh, I guess the correct way to say it, or what's consistent with most of the evidence in these economic games, are that religious people are minimally pro-social. And actually, if we take this idea of limited pro-sociality seriously, it explains a lot of other trends that we see in the data. For example, across different cultures, we see that uh, religiosity is weakly, but it's still positively correlated with the value of benevolence, charity, helping people out. And yet, at the same time, it's negatively related with the value of universalism, helping out you know, your neighbor, your stranger, the good Samaritan, that type of thing. Again, it seems like a contradiction, but when you, look at, when you take the idea of, of limited or minimal prosociality seriously, it tends to make more sense. It's that in-group favoritism again. Uh, also might explain things like why religious primes increase ethnic prejudice and derogation of outgroup members, right, because religious concepts activate an in-group bias in people's mind. This also plagues religious uh, research on giving. Uh, this is one of these conclusions I'm not as sure about, but it is very clear that religious organizations themselves are the largest sources of charitable giving. Religious people give way more to charity than the non-religious, and that finding has been has held up across the board. But, as other studies note, many of the recipients of these, are, uh, even ones that are labeled secular, tend to, tend to be religious or semi-religious organizations. So all of this money is exchanging hands within the in-group. This would be a really interesting one to test. If we could tease out that in-group favoritism, would we still see a charity gap between the non-religious and the religious? We might, Actually, I suspect we probably would, and, and for this reason. There's another, there's another aspect to religious charitable giving, and that is generosity measured as a function of religious importance was smaller than those measured as a variation in religious attendance. That is, church attendance sees, seems to be the key factor in how much a religious person will give. If you actually measure religiosity by belief, How how much conviction do you have that God exists? We'll see that that predicts giving to a less degree than church attendance. I think what's going on here is when you're actually in the building, you're given an opportunity to give, right? The plate is passed around, and there's social pressure for you to put something in that plate. I still think the religious should get credit for this, but they get credit for building institutions that support charitable giving. It may not be the belief, the religious belief, that's really motivating this behavior. So I guess that kind of brings up an interesting question here. How actually are we measuring religiosity? Because as we just saw, depending on how we measured it, we might get different effects. Typically the methodology that's employed here is uh, to compare a general population of people to highly religious people and weakly religious people. And then the atheist agnostics, or all the nuns, we call them, those who declare no religious affiliation, are mixed into that sample as well. There are different ways, again, of measuring intrinsic religiosity, as I mentioned, is a measure of metaphysical belief or commitment. Extrinsic religiosity, as they call it, is often a measure of behavior. How often do you pray, engage in rituals? That sometimes includes... Uh, Another way that is measured is uh, Measuring religiosity purely through church attendance alone So whenever you see a study that says religious people are better at X Y Z The next question you should ask is better compared to whom and the reason is how one Measures religiosity has a major impact on your findings. For example Frequent church attendance has been linked to modestly lower rates of mental illness such as depression but the effect is negligible when you, re- when you measure religiosity as strength of belief. Again, people have better mental health because they're in a congregation of people. They have a so- social support network, like-minded people to talk to. The belief doesn't seem to be as important. Studies that control for purely social factors find that greatly diminished or non-existent effects of religious belief on pro-social measures uh, so you can see, how we measure religion and who we compare our groups to is very important in this debate. Most frequently, the strongest pro-social effects are associated with church attendance and social context rather than just metaphysical beliefs. So it appears that group affiliation drives many of these behaviors. Could a committed secular group, like this one right here, have effects on its membership similar to that of a church? In this book that I mentioned earlier, unfortunately, it's buried on page 472. (laughs) You have to get through all the good stuff to finally see this qualification. But um, Robert Putnam uh, mentions, even an atheist who happened to become involved in the social life of a congregation is much more likely to volunteer in a soup kitchen than the most fervent believer who prays alone. And then he goes on to, or slightly before that, on page 465, he says, religious belief turns out to be utterly irrelevant to explaining the religious edge in good neighborliness. That should have been on page one. But, yeah, most reviewers of that book didn't get that far. So you can guess how it was depicted in the popular press. In fact, that's a major problem. The problem with most studies is that they, again, they are lumping all non-believers together without considering how confident they are in their non-belief, whether or not they attend groups like you do right here, how involved they are with the community overall. They're just all dumped into one pool, the non-religious. And then they're compared with weakly religious and highly religious, typically highly religious people who are in a church context. When you do that, you do get what's called a linear effect. If prosocial being happy, uh, healthy, and more helpful is all on this axis, and religiosity on this one, we would see as religiosity rises, the more religious you get, the more happy, helpful, and and honest you are as an individual. But what we're kind of doing is we're cutting off half of our sample. The few studies that compare highly religious people with the confidently non-religious actually show what's called a curvilinear effect between religiosity and prosociality. Uh, to explain what's going on with this curvilinear effect. I should have had notes, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially what, we do, what we've done is we've expanded our sample. So before the atheists and the agnostics and humanists were getting lost in this side of the curve, now we broaden it out and we actually see that it's, it's the less confident, the weakly religious, the weakly secular, in the middle that tend to have uh, poor ratings on pro-social measures. Oh, here's what I was looking for. Here we go. Nominal believers, not atheists, show the highest levels of depression, actually. The poorest mental health and the gen- generally report less satisfaction with life. And in fact, this, this is uh, true of the cross-cultural data on this, too. The World Values Survey found that both those who claim religion is very important and those who claim that it wasn't important at all tended to be the happiest. So curvilinear effects are also found in the moral realm. Um, For example, uh, physicians, uh, doctors without borders and that sort of thing, the highest membership is going to be highly religious and total atheist. This is true of when uh, Milgram's famous obedience trials, if you're familiar with those studies, where we get to see just how much will somebody... Obey the experimenter. When those were replicated, it was the extreme believers and the extreme non-believers that were most likely to disobey the researchers' unethical orders. So, actually, being highly religious or highly non-religious uh, seems to give you a little bit more moral integrity. Part of the hypothesis why this might be is because uh, these are these pools of individuals. They are so certain of their worldview that they uh, that they're not as They're not as kicked around by the pressures of social conformity as others. So it appears that confidence in one's worldview and regular affiliation with like-minded people are far more important to well-being and moral integrity than your particular beliefs about metaphysics. Sorry guys, even some some non-believers are sad to hear that sometimes. They want to believe that believing the right thing, having the right grasp on reality will make you a better person and... It doesn't seem that metaphysical beliefs are all are all that important but sadly studies are not designed to notice curvilinear effects a lot of times and when they aren't they can give the impression that atheists are in danger of poor physical or mental health and this is exactly what we see with the military's fitness spiritual fitness scale that they have i don't know if anybody's ever heard of that the US military has a spiritual fitness dimension in their instrument that they use to assess a soldier's wellness and mental health. And they conclude that soldiers have the greatest resiliency when they are spiritual, when they are religious. And this has prompted some, uh, um, some superior officers to go find their underlings who are non-religious and to pressure them into prayer meetings uh, and other religious services, right? Because it's bad for their health. They might be at a suicide risk However, though, an examination of the actual question items on these spirituality scales shows a major flaw in the way these concepts are measured. So this is going to be my last major point about uh, how this research is conducted. Criterion contamination. Uh, this is where the prosociality literature defines spirituality in a way that kind of begs the question. So, for example, when we, uh, usually when we make a prediction of, of some sort of criterion, you want the items used in the prediction to not contain elements of what is being predicted. If you, if you, if if you flip the conclusion and you put it in your premise, you're arguing in a circle, right? Uh, but yet we see this happen all the time. We see the reverse happen all the time. Uh, for, for example, this, this right here. Religiously engaged individuals have greater social networks. But religious engagement was defined by having church social contacts. So really, all this is saying, I mean it sounds really good, right? Doesn't it? Wow! Religious engagement really benefits us. All this is saying is socially engaged religious people are socially engaged religious people. That is all this says. Many spirituality scales measure concepts that do not necessarily refer to supernatural beliefs either. For example, these are all the things that will get you a high rating as a spiritual person on these fitness scales. I believe there is a larger meaning to life. It's important for me to give something back to my community. If you answer yes to that, you're labeled as religious on this scale. I believe that humanity as a whole is basically good. If you have a positive humanistic outlook, you might say, you're going to score on that spirituality scale too. I'm concerned about those who will come after me in life. So numerous studies, including this military spiritual fitness assessment, claim to demonstrate that religiosity is related to pro-social outcomes, but they are really just criterion contamination effects. Uh, Having pro-social traits here is what defines being religious, just begging the question. And as we know, many atheists with a broader sense of meaning would score as spiritual on these same scales. This artificially inflates the apparent relationship between religiosity or spirituality and these positive pro-social outcomes. All right, so tying it all together, uh, the question does religion make us better actually doesn't admit of a simple answer. You've already seen evidence showing yes and no or yes in particular ways and no in other particular ways. Unfortunately, this stuff just doesn't work in a soundbite and we live in a soundbite culture the conclusion one reaches depends on the measure of religiosity being used, the way prosociality is defined. Uh, we have to be cognizant of a host of complicating factors if we're going to be accurate. Really, this is like a uh, minefield for a, good, for a critical thinker. This is even, even the most experienced critical thinker is going to run into problems with how complex this data is. So, uh, Luke Galen uh, came up with 10 questions for thinking critically about religious prosociality that will help people in the future uh, to, again, to think more carefully about these studies. Number one, has the research controlled for the possibility that stereotypes, such as the expectation that religious individuals will be more prosocial, have those stereotypes affected self-reports and ratings? Are the results based on evidence that have been compromised by in-group favoritism or bias? when prosocial effects follow the priming of religious concepts, would those same effects follow secular primes? That's a great one for the priming studies. Number four, is the study also able to detect potential negative as well as positive effects for religious primes? Is the research based on self-reports, or does it also measure actual behaviors? If it doesn't measure actual behaviors, it's worthless. Six. Could the context of the study have an impact on the results? For example, would this study get the same results in the United States as opposed to other nations in Northern Europe that are predominantly non-religious? Seven, are the results solely attributable to religious belief itself or is there a group affiliation effect going on? If church-attending believers are compared to non-church attenders, uh, the source of any differences might be unclear. Number eight, does the study conflate non-belief with low religiosity, or do we have a clear measure of the non-believers? By the way, if we're going to ever fulfill number eight, we need more research on secularists. So we need more researchers willing to study communities like this and answer surveys and that sort of thing. So if you ever see those things pop up in your inbox, please take them. It will help us all. Number nine, do the religious groups under comparison allow for an examination of curvilinear effects? That is, you know, if you're comparing a church group, you've got to compare it with an equally, uh, you know, equal group like this. Number ten, has religion or spirituality been defined in a way that would also include prosocial behavior just from the definition? I think... If you watch for those things, you're going to have a leg up on most other people who are uh, paying attention to this particular research. I hope you got something out of that. Uh, I hope that brings a little more clarity to this often confusing debate. And um, uh, last thing, just want to put in another plug for my podcast. If you, to, if you happen to enjoy what you heard tonight, found it enlightening at all, Uh, Both I and the author of the the Psych Review, Luke Galen, we both work On this podcast, Reasonable Doubts You can find it at doubtcast.org It is one of the most Informationally dense podcasts you'll Find that still manages to be funny From time to time Thank you very much